0: Morning, guys. It's bittersweet for me. Uh, it's been awesome. I've loved going through the First Peter with you guys. And now Second Peter. Uh, this will be the last morning. Uh, our pastor is going to be back next week, which I'm excited about. It'll be good. And uh, but I've really enjoyed doing this with you guys, and uh, look forward to more in the future being able to do uh, here and there. But it's good. Sean gets to come back in and, and uh, get to teach us. We'll start back or we'll continue in Exodus and and what Sean was going through on there. So go ahead and turn over to 2 Peter with me. 2 Peter. And we went through chapter 2. We, we hit it real quick last week. Or I mean, sorry, the week before that, before Dan came. And we are in verse 12. So 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse 12. Just to remind you guys what was going on in, on 2 Peter was that first chapter we went through, he talks about encouraging the Christians and he also puts out there the image of what a Christian looks like, right? Here's kind of what it looks like. And the reason for that is because he's going to demonstrate and show what the false teacher looks like. So you have the positive and then you have the negative. It's just like what I told you guys with the money. If you have one that's original and it's the real deal in your hand and you have a fake next to it, it's real easy to tell when you have them side by side. If you have them separate from each other, you have that fake, it's kind of hard to tell, right? It looks really close. So that's what Peter's been doing is he's talking through this and sharing and talking about what is the difference here and what to watch out for. And not only that, but their doom and the depravity of these false teachers. And so that's where he was getting into in verses 1 through 3, and he was talking about their message that they would give and the motivation behind their actions. And then in verses 4 through 11, he explained that they are headed for destruction and that their ways are wicked. And he uses the example of Noah and Lot, not in their weakness, but what was going on in their time, right? Everybody was turning against um, and they are in a place where there's very few believers or few righteous in those times, and just a few were saved out of that. And so, you know, I think it just goes to show as you go through that, just because a lot of people are saying something is true doesn't mean it's true, right? And I've told you guys about that new term that they've come out with, wickality, that it's no longer what I believe is good for me and, and what you believe, but now it's what they believe is good for them and what is good for them you know, is is fine. What's good for us is good for us. So now it's a a group thing. So if you have the numbers, well, that means that it has to be true. And if you guys know of Wikipedia, Wikipedia, that's how it works. You can go in there and you can submit what you believe is the truth on the, the subject that's being told. If there's enough people that come in there and agree with you, that is the truth of that topic. That's how, yeah, Wikipedia. Hey, it's not an encyclopedia. I'm just saying, all right? I know, (laughs) it's a different deal. And that's why the the term wickality, it's basically what's the reality for that group. Now, we know in the scriptures, Jesus Christ himself was even very clear on, hey, the the gate's very small, right? It's very narrow. The way is narrow to righteousness, but the, um, the gate is wide or broad is the way that leads to destruction. And I've heard so many youth being challenged by the world and by that wide way. And well, if so many people are going that way, why wouldn't this be all right what I want to do like it really brings into question how could it be so wrong if so many people are doing it and I don't see them suffering like what it says there you know and it, it brings into a lot of question for them and now we know in the end there always is consequences and we can even give testimony in our own lives on us joining the wide way and then all of a sudden here's the consequences they show up right so encourage the youth, show them that God's way is so good. Yes, it is smaller, it's now there are fewer people going that way, but it has such a better place in the end, right? And so that's what he's going through in that first part. So let's get into verses 12 through 17, and we'll look at what he, they, he talks about their, their character or their depravity as false teachers. In verse 12 it says, But these like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed... Speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. And will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery, they cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart that trained on, in covetous practices and are cursed children." Verse 15, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Lord, just as we come to you this morning, we learn looking at these false teachers, Lord, just help us to be aware and and, uh, to keep our eyes focused on you and what your truth is, Lord, that we would just dig into your word and that would be our foundation, Uh, not somebody's opinion or somebody else that's given us some glasses to look at your word through, but Lord, it's absolutely just your truth and your spirit guiding us under that truth. And uh, Lord, we just pray for those that are being deceived by them, that they would be able to be rescued and brought out of that, Lord, make them aware, open their eyes uh, to what they're following after and Lord, just at the end of this book, as you talk about what's to come, Lord, I pray it be encouraging. It's an exciting time. And it's also to show your absolute power and that there will be justice. And so we thank you for that. And pray you just guide us through the study that you have for us this morning, that we would learn and we draw close to you as we come out of it, Lord. And we just thank you in your name and pray. Amen. So at the very first part, I'd just like to say in verse 12 this says that hunting is okay. All right? I'm just saying, hunting right there. It says, like natural beasts, made what? Made to be caught and destroyed. Okay, (laughs) it's all good. It's good. You know, I have so many people go back to you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and like, oh, you got to be vegetarian because look at these guys were, and it worked out. Nah, sorry. Right here, I'm going New (laughs) Testament. So (laughs) now what he's doing is he's relating them to these natural beasts, and the thing is with a natural beast, it's just a beast. It has instinct, right? Sure, it has life, but it has instinct. And we can usually rely on that instinct. We know what it's going to be like. It doesn't know the ways or the will. It just knows what it's supposed to do. It's been built into it. A great example is like the other day, uh, Jim, sitting out in the lobby, he asked me to go get some water out of his truck. He's got a dog in there, okay? And I go over to his house every once in a while, and Sugar, the dog, she's really kind to me, We've been getting along. It's been a slow process. She lets me touch her now. But I was like, dude, this is your truck. I don't think I want to be go reaching my hand in there to get you water out of there. The thing is, is Jim needed some water. So I'll go risk my hand, right? It's a special water. <laughs> so I go out there. I open up the door. Ooh, that dog was showing its teeth. It has instinct. That's its place, right? That's its property. You don't go in there. Hey, we might know each other, but you're not coming in here, okay? Because my master's gone right now. I have a job to do. And so what ends up happening is I try to test it. Well, she jumps in the back, and I'm like, sweet, I'm going to go for it. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. She jumped right back up there, and I was like, all right, I'm stopping. I came back. Jim, sorry, you're going to have to take it out of the drinking fountain. (laughs) It's not happening today. But the dog didn't know what was going on. didn't know that his master wanted this water, right? That would be the better way to go. The dog's instinct was just direct and no, I'm protecting my property. I don't want to fail my master, right? Well, that's what he's relating with these brute beasts of, the, of men, these, these false teachers. that That's their instinct. That's what they know. They're evil. That's what they stick in. That's what they're about. They don't know the ways of God. They don't know what the better thing is. They know what they want, and it's about them and their flesh and their lusts. And that's what Peter's going to introduce us to and show us. This is what drives them. So one of the biggest things in helping us identify these people is where is their motivation? What are they focused on? Where are they at? What are they trying to do with my life? And how are they representing Jesus Christ to me? Is any of that happening here? And so he goes on. He says, you know, they speak because uh, they speak evil of the things they do not understand, just like Sugar did not understand what I was trying to do for her and her master, and will utterly perish in their own corruption. Here they are proclaiming to other people, here's how you avoid it, but yet they're in their own path to, to destruction, right? By their own corruption. Verse 13 And will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. And these guys, I mean, if you guys go through this, um, another little study you can look at too is in Jude. Jude goes right along with this part of Peter and, and what they go back and forth and talk about. But these false teachers, they have nothing better. They, they seriously are like the animals, and they count it pleasure just to go out and fulfill their lust during the day. And it's saying in the day because they have no shame. If it was night, they'd be shameful, right? They don't want to do it in the day where they're, they're exposed, but they're doing it right in the daytime. It's, it's, all, it's, it's on. And so then he talks about with these, uh, these blemishes, or there are spots and blemishes. And remember, he's speaking to a Jewish crowd, and with the spots and blemishes, that would bring right up the sacrifices. As they couldn't have a spot of blemish on the sacrifice, right, when they bring it to God. It wasn't acceptable before God. It had no purpose before God. And that's what he's saying. These guys are so far off, they're not acceptable they have no purpose before God. They're spots and their blemishes. They have no right to be there. It's not something that they need to be in. Now, the thing is with them is that they enjoy extravagance. They like luxuries in life. That's another way you could look. They eat with you, and they live off of what you're living off of. Um, they really, they're just like mosquitoes, in a sense. They just want to suck you dry. And you guys have probably been around these people or you've even seen it on TV, these different people. I love what uh, 2 Timothy, if you guys turn over, it's just a few pages back to the left. First Timothy, or sorry, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter three, Paul warns Timothy, you know, as Timothy's becoming one of these leaders in the church and he says, you need to watch out for these, you know, in perilous times, they're going to be perilous men. And so be careful. And so in in 2 Timothy chapter three, Verses 1 through 7, he counsels them, and he says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I mean, that's, like, that's every characteristic in a false teacher. Having the form of godliness, but denying its power in front, from such people, turn away, have nothing to do with them. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away with, by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Right there, I have it off to the side. That's a TV evangelist. So just straight up say it. In verse six, where it talks about that they come into the households, they creep into the households. This is before TV. I don't know if you guys knew that. But this is written before there was TV or radio. But coming into the households, and what are they doing? They're burdening these poor people that are in their homes with these sins. Now, here's how you can get out of that sin, or here's how you can gain favor with God. You send me what God's laying on your heart. I'm pretty sure it's around $1,000, but you send that to me, and, and it'll be okay between you and God this isn't a new thing. This has been going on way before there's TV evangelists, right? I mean, there's another religious church system that ended up deciding, one of the popes decided to go ahead and, and make up a thing, indulgences, and you had to pay this off so that you can spring people out of purgatory or you can make your time better. And it was, a, it was a thing that you had to go and pay for. And the scriptures are very, very clear that there's nothing like that there. You're not paying for favor with God. That's not grace. Grace is not payment, Right? And so they sneak in there and they, they, they burden these people with their, their things that they're in, these various lusts that they have, and it's a sad thing because they're always learning. Now, these TV evangelists are great at putting out different talks, right, or even putting out books with lots of information, but it's, it's void. There's nothing in it. And just like that verse says, always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Always learning, but never come to the knowledge of truth. That just sums it up for our world, Right? I think colleges are a great place for that. Now, I'm all about getting an education and getting out there so you can go and get a trade. Absolutely. There's a lot of garbage that comes along with it, too. It's just a humanistic church is what I look at. There's a means to an end when you can use it in a positive way, but when you look at it, there's so many kids that have been led astray, and I've been in one, a very liberal one, and that's part of the thing. Yes, let's give you an education, but also on top of that, I want to make sure that you're going to come out believing the same thing I believe that all these things are against the scripture, that's what it is. And it's this knowledge that they're always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth, right? It's a crazy thing that happens there. Now, go back over to Second Peter, in verse 13. That's rain, isn't it? Early in the morning, all right. That's different, that's good. Oh, you guys windows up? <laughs> oh, <laughs> All right, so there are spots and blemishes. They're crowding with their own deceptions. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery and they, they, and they that cannot cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are cursed children. That's pretty, that's a lot on them and it's talking about this is where their depravity has left them. They, they have eyes full of adultery. They're lusting continually and they cannot cease from sinning. They cannot cease from sinning. Their heart is trained on covetous practices. You know, these guys, are they're slaves to sin, like what uh, Jesus, we, we read, uh, to, or not, sorry, Paul, over in Romans 6, he talks about how we were slaves to sin, and then over in John 8, it also talks about being slaves to sin. Now, awesome that in Jesus Christ, now we get to be slaves to righteousness through him, right? It's an awesome deal that we get to be a part of. But that that blemishes and and. What, what's being given, it's just cheap what they're getting involved in. This adultery, this, this momentary things that they're into and that they have a heart that's trained, meaning that that's where their purpose is. It's been trained to go there. They've returned over and over to it and now it's trained to go to these covetous practices and they're cursed children. Now, some people have taken these parts of scripture and what they've done is that they've taken this and said, this is the Christian that sins and you're gonna lose your salvation and I'm gonna show you how this works here and there. Uh-uh. The total context of this is talking about false teachers. It never once identifies them as a believer as well. It even says that they are cursed children right there. It does not say that they're children of God. They're cursed children. Still created by God, that's why the term children is used, but they're not. They're not identified of knowing Jesus Christ. This is not one of those scriptures that you could take and hold to any light and say, well, look at here's how you can lose your salvation. It's not talking about that at all. These guys are in this. And I think a great example of what this would look like is look at Judas, guys. Look at Judas. I mean, he looked like it. He was there. He was with them. I mean, he even had power to do some of the miracles that Jesus gave him power to do, didn't he? Right? He's one of the disciples that was there. Well, what happened in the end? He was just looking the part, wasn't he? I always like to look at his life, and I think that he partook of the body of Christ in the sense that he was with fellowship with these other believers but he never partook of the sacrifice, the blood of Christ. That that was never poured out in his life, he never accepted that. And that's what the false teacher, yeah, you know what, they look everything like it and they'll try to be in that spot, but they're after their own lusts. That's what they've been trained to do. They've trained themselves to go after that. Now, in verse 15, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. And he goes in there and he talks about what it looks like. And he gives this great example of Balaam. Now, Jude 11 uh, also goes through this and talks about it. If you guys want to look up the story, um, it's in Numbers twenty two twenty four. And uh, there was a sermon done a while ago about Balaam as well. Um, neat character to look into because the guy, was, he was all about self. And he was conniving, and he was tricky, and, and it was just crazy. And Lord had to use a donkey to speak to him and say that this is not what you should be doing. Turned the away, and he actually saved his life by protecting him from uh, an angel in the road ready to slay Balaam. You guys can go check out the story. But what it was is Balak, the king of Moab, was trying to hire Balaam to curse Israel. Okay? he was a prophet. He had been given the word of the Lord. This guy was legit in some of his things. He had done some prophecy before, but now he was becoming this hireling that he, this king wanted to hire. So Balaam wouldn't do it because he knew it wasn't right at first, but then the price got to be right. And I, there was this uh, talk about, hey, if uh, you know, I pay you $30,000 to go and rob this person over there, are you gonna do it? Yeah, you bet. For $30,000, I'll do that. Okay, well, what about $5? Wait, what a minute, you offered 30. What do you think, I am a thief? (laughs) Well, clearly it's been established the price is just now what we need to negotiate, right? And that's what happened with Balaam. Oh yeah, I'm gonna be righteous, be righteous. Oh, the price is right. And that's what ended up happening is Balaam gave him a price. And so he entertained it and he was gonna go have a word with this king. And that's on the way he was going there that uh, the angel stood in the road and the donkey went off three different times until finally he had to speak to him and say, I'm not going any further, there's an angel right in the road that's going to slay you. So anyways, what ends up happening is that doesn't work out. He ends up, God lets uh, Balaam go. He does not curse Israel. Uh, Balak gets really frustrated with the whole deal. And later, Balaam ends up telling Balak, look, I can't put a curse on them, but here's how you can make them fall. Entice them with your women and your parties and all that stuff. And then because they'll turn against God, they're going to lose favor with God. Evil man, right? He's teaching them how to sin. Evil guy. So he gives these three examples. If we go back over to chapter, the first part of chapter 2 and he gives the example of Noah and then he gives the example of Lot... Then he gives Balaam. And I think looking at each one of these, it's interesting to see that it's kind of a succession to this depravity that the false teachers are at. You have Noah, which you guys know is one of my favorite characters. This guy that just stood strong for 100 years, just preaching righteousness, preaching the doom to come, warning people about what's gonna happen and being diligent, even though he's mocked and scoffed at, to continue to build this huge boat that made no sense because no man had ever seen that much water on the land before, especially where he was at, right? So you have this guy that's just righteous, he's awesome, and it ends up that, you know what, a lot of people died. A lot of people died, but there was eight people that were saved because of his ministry, and he himself was saved through that, right? He was righteous till the end. Then you have Lot, and Lot, he was there, he was still, it counts him as a righteous man, you guys can even read about it in the scriptures, but the thing is, is he did not separate himself. He still was a part of it. He was in there. He wasn't doing those sins, but he was in the place of it. So he hadn't completely separated himself. And in the end, Lot ends up losing his family, doesn't he? Now, we know his wife was turned to a pillar of salt, and his girls, I know they didn't die, but look at their depravity that they'd fallen into. I mean, it was just a sick story what ended up happening. So although he was righteous, he'd not separated himself, and there's consequences for that. And then you come to Balaam, which was just straight up unrighteous, and he taught others to be unrighteous. And in the end, you know what happened to him? They went to battle, and he got killed. He was destroyed. And you get to see these different things, and it's a warning to these false these teachers. This is your end. You guys are just like Balaam. Jude also says you guys are like that. You're like well, well, Cain as well, looking after what you guys want to do in your focus in your own life. And then he goes on in verse 17. He says, these are wells without water, clouds carried by tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So they're useless wells. They look like they can take away a traveler's thirst, but they have nothing to give. It's just like somebody looking for, hey, I'm, I'm looking for something in my life that will really encourage and, and God can use in my life, and I really want to do what he wants me to do, and how do I do that? And they go to the false teacher, and it looks like, hey, this guy's got great information. Look at how many people are following him. He's done great things, and next thing you know, he's given this horrible information, right? This, it, doesn't give the, it doesn't take away the thirst, not like Jesus does, where he says, you'll never thirst again. You take one drink. The wells here, it's talking about, it's like if you keep t- taking a drink, you're not going to be... Satisfied. Jesus, and when he says that he you know take a drink when he's talking to the woman, it means one drink. Boom, you're done. It's good. Your thirst is no longer anymore with one drink. And then like the storm, which the farmer pleads to drop rain, like we were doing for a couple weeks, how we got that big one on Monday, right? We kept seeing these storms and it was just like, No, come over here. <laughs> we had to go in water restrictions, everything with our ditches. Some of us are on our gardens. We just opened up our corn the other day. It was horrible. It's like spotted corn. Tasted great, but it was like, yeah, not enough water. So you look at this, and it's like these guys, it's like this storm cloud, and you're like, yes, please bring the rain, and then it just brings a ton of wind and goes right on by. So the false teachers are like. Oh, yes, bring a lot of truth. You guys look great. Bring it, and then they just go right on by with a bunch of wind, nothing. And that's what he's relating them to. And so they're, they're, they're clouds carried by tempest for whom is reserved the blackness and darkness forever. They have a horrible end. They have a horrible end that they're going to go to. Now, verses 18 through 22. I have to move a little bit faster. We're going to, yeah. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through the lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they have promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption by whom a person is overcome. By him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. And the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it and turned from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow having washed in her wallow in her wallowing to her wallowing in the mire. And so again, he goes back through and he talks about these deceptions that these guys bring. And what he says that they have great swelling words, just like that tempest, just like uh, the well without water. They're empty and they lure, like a lure, like a fishing lure. Like, come here, this is what I got. I got something tasty for you. And there's a hook on the end of it through the lust of the flesh. And that's how they come to you. And you gotta be careful when these false teachers are given. If they're going and you sound so good, yeah, that's what I wanna do. My flesh is loving that. <laughs> like, I can have a little bit of Jesus, and I can have a little bit of me. I mean, this is perfect. And so they come with this, and they say, here you go. Have the lust of the flesh. Here, have this lewdness. And, and the ones that have actually escaped from those uh, who lived in there. And what that's talking about is those that have just come out. Okay, So the ones that have just come to Jesus Christ. They're understanding this knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you guys look, a lot of the cults out there and a lot of these false teachers, they just prey on those that have just come to Jesus. Because there isn't much foundation that's there through the word of God, is there yet? And so there's even places that they'll have an evangelistic event, like Harvest, and there's actually false teachers on the outside waiting for them. How'd you think, oh, that wasn't a great night, you gave your life to the Lord, let me show you and I'll walk with you through this. And they totally deceive them and walk off the end into this whole place where, yes, you can still live like that, you can have those lustful ways that you like, but you can also have Jesus. And it's such a sad place. They're out there just fishing, and you know, alluring luring those people. And it's just like, yeah, you mean I can have Jesus and do what I want? It's like, oh, yeah, you bet. I want to have that. And a lot of people, that's how they're doing it. They love that lifestyle. That's not the way. Now, the saddest part, I think, in this whole thing is in verse 19 where they promise freedom. They promise freedom in this lifestyle. So here's like some of the things that they might say. Hey, come out of the closet. This is now your identity. This is who you are now. It's all about you. We have a great community. Come and join our community. Be proud of what you believe you are, right? Come out. Another one is, hey, sleep with others before you're married. God has grace, and besides, God's way is old-fashioned. And for the past generation, not for your generation, right? That's like, here, you can have your flesh, but you can also have God. Give me your eyes and watch this. It's okay as long as you don't act on it. It's okay, just watch that stuff. I mean, you're not, it's not going to do anything to you. Oh, you do deserve it, so go get that new house, car, ring, phone, whatever it is. God blessed you, and he wants to glorify. be glorified through your joy of having that, having what you own now through the bank and your newest need. And I'm not coming against buying new cars or any of that. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's one of those things that it's about me. And that's the thing is that true freedom, true freedom is not life centered on you. And that's what they're trying to offer. They're saying there's liberty in this. So go do the things you want to do. That's not freedom at all. That's what I'm brokenhearted over the youth right now. They believe that the world has this freedom for them. Now, they look at us and they look at the parents and saying, you guys are trying to bring us under bondage, under something that's so heavy, all these rules at church, and they're completely misunderstanding that that is where true freedom is. Not the rules in the religion sense, and you guys know what I'm talking about, not in legalism, But they've completely given themselves over to where, hey, if it's about me and my purpose and my will, I can still believe in God at the same time, still believe that Jesus died on the cross, but I'm going to live for me because God's given me freedom to do that. And it's such a deception that they've held on to. It's this twofold thing. So you know what? I can go ahead and I can come out of the closet because that's who God created me to be. And, you know, I can go find a pastor that's also in the same place that I am. And that's what the world's showing them. You know, this is free. This is free but you go and talk to them and there's no fulfillment in their lives anymore. They know something's wrong there, but they keep being told this lie. No, 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 it's okay. That's just because of the past and what your parents have put pressure on you. That's why you're feeling bad about doing this. It's It's your old conscience, such a sad lie that's given to them. True freedom is not life centered on you. True freedom is being a bondservant to your savior, Jesus Christ. And that sounds weird. It's like freedom, bondservant, how do those go together? But truly, when we fall in love with the Lord and we let him absolutely rule our lives, that's where you do meet freedom, that liberty, isn't it? We're freed. We're no longer slaves to that sin. And it's an awesome place to walk, isn't it? Verses 20 and 20 through 22. For if after they had escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter's end is worse, For them than that at the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it and turned from the holy commandment to deliver that delivered to them. And this is a sad place because here they've been given the truth, but they decide, you know what, I'm not gonna have a part of that. And that's even scarier because God has revealed his truth to them and they said no to it. They said, No, I don't want anything to do with that. And we know where their end is, and it's a sad place. And then he relates them again. He goes back to the animal at the end of this chapter. And in verse 22, he says, But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. And see, a person that keeps going back to this has that natural desire. It's like that's what you've got to expect of them. When you have a dog, a dog's going to act the way a dog's going to act, right? If you guys ever want to go check out, there's this place... Uh, pretty funny. I don't remember. Let me look at this guy's name. Zoltan. It's a different name. Zoltan Kazas on Dry Bar Comedy. He does a funny thing. He's a a cat guy, right? I don't know if you guys have seen it, but he talks about, you know, he's, he's, he's saying, I'm a cat guy. It doesn't mean I don't like dogs or anything, and you guys can have your dogs over there. I'll come and touch them, but then I'm done with it. He's like, I just don't want that kind of relationship when I come home. I don't want, like, the best friend all up in your face. Hey, where you been all day? Oh good. I'm so excited to see you Here. I know this tree I just found. Let's go out and look at it, you know and having this like in your face. Let me breathe on you. <laughs> this, this whole relationship of what a dog is. He's like, "I like the cat thing. It's kind of like, "Hey, what's up? How you doing?" Oh, never mind, I don't really care. <laughs> I'll be in the kitchen. <laughs> and then there's the dog that's like, "Oh yeah, pet my belly." Oh, best friend ever. Oh, it feels so good. You're the best. (laughs) And having that weird relationship. The dog's going to always be that way. It loves that. It has a different relationship than what a cat would. Cat's like, scratch my belly. Okay, three times. Yeah, I'm done. I'm over it. I got things to do. (laughs) So I'm out of here. You guys should watch it. It's a pretty funny one where he talks about that. But there's this character that goes along with a dog. There's a character that goes along with a cat. That's who they are. That's who they are. And that's what he's talking about here. A dog, they're going to throw up because they ate something bad they're going to go right back around to it because, hey, there's free food. <laughs> it's just sick. But he wants to make a point and say, this is what their character is. This is what they are. A pig? We were up at the 4-H thing the other day, and they're trying to wash off the pigs, right? There was so much screaming going on in that pen. They're like, what are you doing to me? <laughs> I'm a pig. <laughs> I am not meant to be clean, right? Some of our kids feel the same way. <laughs> they, As soon as you wash them, what are they going to do if there's a mud pit there? They go back to it. Why? They're pigs. We wouldn't think anything less of them. It's like, yes, that's a pig. No surprise. So when people do this, see the character of man, and it's unfortunate, when we live life for ourselves, and this liberty that they're promising our youth and they're promising us is a sad deal because it leaves you in this place where you're human, and that's what you're going to go back to. You're going to be the slave to sin. That's what you're going to do. Nothing else is going to be expected of you. Until Jesus Christ comes along in your life, and he asks you to die so that he can bring you to a new life. Not to heal you, not to heal and put a Band-Aid on your problems, but to watch and have you die, that old self, so that old man is put on the cross like we read in Romans 6, so that he can bring you to a newness of life. Because it has to be through the power of Jesus Christ to raise you in that way. And I encourage any of you guys that do not know Jesus Christ, do not walk in these ways. Do not keep following this path to destruction. Stop living in your lusts, guys. If you guys don't know Jesus Christ yet, it's not that you're coming under him so that you can follow a bunch of rules. That's not what Jesus is about. You're gonna wanna follow those rules because you're gonna fall so in love with him that you're gonna be like, Jesus, what can I do? He says, if you love me, you're gonna follow my commandments. It's not a prerequisite that, hey, I'll die for you if, if you follow my commandments. No, he died for us before we even followed him, while we were sinners, right? So don't get caught up in the world telling you that Jesus equals Rules (laughs) equals this chain. That's not Jesus. Jesus has absolute freedom, guys. If you don't know Jesus, please come and talk to me or Sean or one of the elders, guys. We'd love to introduce you. love for you to get to see who Jesus Christ is and watch you walk with him in your life. Avoid what's going on here and what Peter's warning against. Not walking in that way. Don't believe the lies of the world, guys. Chapter 3. We might do this. This is good. Chapter three, one of the things that the false teachers were attacking was that Jesus has promised to return. So now he's going to go into talking about this is what they're after right now. This is one of the main issues. See, I'm going to discount everything that Jesus said or God said, or you guys are saying as Christians, because look it, he said he's coming back. He hasn't showed up. You're false. And even they do the same thing to us nowadays. I mean, they do it on several different occasions. They, 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 just, they try to run us through the mud, and it's like God just shows Himself to be truthful every time. I know you guys have. I know one of the things that was a while back, but they were saying that you know that, that instance never happened in, with Jesus and Pilate, because there's no account that Pilate was ever governor of Judea, right? Because they haven't ever found anything in history that proved that, and so therefore it must be an error. And it's like what? That's so one-sided, so biased. If there's nothing to prove, it doesn't mean it, it means it just hasn't been discovered yet. And guess what happened? I think it was in the late 70s. They found a pillar that had this thing talking about who was the governor of that place. Guess who it was? Pontius Pilate. And it's like, oh, dang it. <laughs> Can't use that one against the Christians anymore. <laughs> and they keep doing that. Any of the things in the scripture, if it hasn't been found yet, doesn't mean that it's not true. And so in this part of scripture, hey, since Jesus hasn't shown up, you know, God's promise probably wasn't the real deal. You guys are off. And so that's where they attack first. So let's read one through nine. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle. He's saying, I'm writing this second letter to you guys, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but his long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what he's going to dive into, he's going to say, this is not right what they're talking about. I'm going to give you some evidence of why it's not okay what they're talking about. They don't understand God. They don't understand. They claim that they do. But what they're trying to do is make them in their own image. Here's what I would do if I was God. I would have already showed up and given this promise. Well, God's not that way. And that's what he's going to go into. But right at the very first, he says, I'm writing this epistle to you because I want to stir up your pure minds. I want to remind you. Reminders are great. Young Christians need to have this, don't they, to grow in the Lord. Us older Christians, we need to be reminded because sometimes we forget. What's going on? We forget what it was like. We forget what we've been challenged before, and he challenges us again on that. And that's why he's bringing this second letter to these guys and to us, is that we might be mindful of the words which were spoken by the holy prophets, those things that were brought by the holy prophets. And not only that, but what's been spoken by the apostles. And I love he refers back to that because that gives that authority to them, even in their own time saying, you guys, the commandment that we brought to you is what you need to be listened to. We can look over in Jude 17. I think it gives a little clearer picture of what this commandment was. As Jude, we know, goes right along with what Peter's saying here. Jude 17, it's like three pages over if you have the same Bible as me. Jude 17 It says, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto an eternal life. And, have, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And this again, reiterating that, hey guys, this has been given to you by the apostles, listen up. This might be something you've heard before, he's gonna remind you again. It's always good to be reminded. Verse three, knowing this, that the scoffers will come in the last days, just like what Jude said as well, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So what they're doing is they're uh, validating their lusts, their walk, and how they want to follow after their own things because God didn't fulfill a promise. And that might seem far-fetched and like what's going on here, but I think we've done that in our own lives. We feel God didn't follow through with something in our own lives that we felt he'd promised or we felt that we had agreed with him on, and so we're going to go ahead and return back to whatever it is that we've been falling into. And being careful that our walk is not based on how we think God's going to deliver his message to us. Or he's going to deliver our needs to us. That it is absolutely perfect on his timing. That he is the one that has absolute control. And that's what Peter's going to go into. That's why he mentions in the next one, he says that they're willfully forgetting this. Because they have to willfully forget these truths so that they can walk in the lust. Otherwise, there's a contradiction there. You know, they hit a wall. You can't walk in your lust and also believe what God has said he will do it doesn't work that way you're lying about one or the other and so in verse 5 he says this is what uh, this they willfully forget that by the word of god the heavens of the old and the earth standing out of water and in the water so he goes right to the word of god this is what the word of god has done when it created the heavens and the earth he had it set up to where there's this water in the heavens there's water in the in the in the earth as well and we know what happened with the flood right I mean, think about what these guys are doing here and saying, hey, where's the promise at? You you could hear the same thing happening with Noah, right? Where's this water at that you say is gonna happen? Because they've never seen rain before, right? They never saw gushers coming out out of the ground. This stuff didn't even exist, so how could you prove that it was true, right? But he's warning them and saying, just as God had set up and just as he's created the earth in that way, he absolutely has authority over what he's gonna do in the future. And you should take note of what happened in the past. Like, we're, we're, we're privileged because we get to look back and see that that's what's happened. Right? So we know that his word is true. And then he goes on and he says, okay, if that happened before, by which the world that existed perished, being flooded with the water, in verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of the ungodly man. So the earth now is prepared to be destroyed by fire. And we, I mean, that's an easy one for us. God has gifted us, and I think it's so merciful for him to give us science. I love science. Science is not contradictory to being a Christian. Science is we're gonna explore, and he set all these awesome things out for us to go and explore and understand and build and create. I mean, we're creating his own image. It's a neat thing to go and study these awesome things that God has made in this world. And he's given us the privilege and the mercy as well to see that there is a lot of fire under this crust. is not there? Isn't there? There is a lot of energy that's just waiting to blow up. You guys have heard about the the super volcano under Yellowstone, right? It's like people talk about it all the time. When's that going to blow? And when it does, half the United States is going to be wiped out. The rest is going to suffer from ash and fallout or whatever is going to happen. It's a big deal. And they're wondering, okay, this could happen. They say the dinosaurs disappeared that way. There's just all this energy. Science is showing us there's this stored up, getting ready to just blow up. And we get to see little samples of it. Have you guys ever been around a volcano that it erupted at all? There's some power there. I mean, it's scary. Earthquakes are scary because you have no, nothing over them. But when you have a volcano going off, we're walking, we're going into the jungle, and there, Mount Arenal in Costa Rica is right behind us. And all of a sudden, it just sounded like, boom, big old semi-truck wrecked or something like that, going down the road and just huge rumbling sound. And we're like, whoa, what was that? We turn around, here's this big old plume of smoke coming out. Not that big. We were safe. It interrupts like that every once in a while. I mean, this was like just a little, you know. A little girly sneeze. I mean, it, was just, <laughs> it wasn't much. so <laughs> Not like Mount St. Helens or even you know, some of the other bigger ones, but the power that was behind it was just unbelievable. It's just like, uh, yeah, if that thing went off, we're dead. Because <laughs> we're so close, it's gone. And you guys have seen the pictures of Mount St. Helens, right? In the 80, 1980. The whole side of it just goes off. A whole lake disappears. Crazy stuff happened. Those are small. But he's given us an insight and knowing that. And then he's referring back to it and he's saying, guys, this is what he's, it's going to happen. But beloved, don't forget this. Don't forget one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. God is not you. God is eternal. God is eternal, meaning that he did not have a beginning. Right? We, as humans, are immortal. We have a beginning. But we don't have any end. We live on. That's what it talks It's very clear in the scriptures right? So we can't say, well, God, this is how it is, but God in his eternal state lives outside of time. If you're eternal, there is no time constraint. And so you know what? His timing's going to be absolutely, it's going to be perfect. He knows what's going on. And so for us as humans, Peter tries to show us, guess what? You have no idea of what time is. You have days and years that you guys go off of with God means nothing. It doesn't exist with him. That's why it's saying that, you know, as a day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. That's what he's trying to explain. So then in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Just because you guys think that he's not coming when you think he should have. He's not slack. Instead, you guys should look at it this way, that he's long-suffering toward us. They completely erased and they deceived others into thinking, well, this must not be true when God is being long-suffering even to those guys. He's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. I love God because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He's not this big evil creator being in the sky that just wants to annihilate us, as some would say he is. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come in repentance, right? Repentance is that changing of the mind. That's what repentance is, changing of the mind. It is not regret. Regret says, sorry, I got caught. It's kind of going back to Judas. He was sorry for what he had done. He did not change his mind about it. That's repentance. It's changing the mind, or it's not remorse either. Remorse just leads to hopelessness, and it leads to despair. Repentance is like, you know what? I'm changing my mind about where I was going. I'm going this way with Jesus now. That's where we're going to go. Verses 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and in godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will dissolve, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This right here, this scripture, there's a lot of neat things here. This, this is one of those big uh, places in my life that I got to see, wow, the scripture is something that's totally different than the other writings that man has put out. Back in this time, they had no idea that the, the elements would melt with fervent heat. What it's talking about here in the Hebrew, it's actually talking about like the breaking down of elements on a molecular scale. Not just, hey, I put some metal in the fire and it melted. That's not what it's talking about. It's like a breakdown, a dissolving. This is pre-anything that they believed back then as far as science was concerned. God wrote it, guys. He knew what he was talking about. Such a testament to this is absolutely, before its time, how could it have been that way other than that the Holy Spirit guided him in writing this down? It's a neat passage. Now, as it goes on and it talks about another thing, that there's a, there's a conflict with another religion, the JWs, that they believe that you're in paradise right now, that this earth is going to continue on, right? This scripture is very clear. Guys, it's dissolved, it's destroyed, it's gone, absolutely wiped out. And we, as believers, look forward to the new and what he's going to make. And you guys can go over to Revelation 21. It talks about the new heavens and the new earth that he makes, if you start looking at the details on how big it is, oh, it 's awesome. okay The New Jerusalem is just unbelievable it 's a cool thing to study out. Look at that and see what he 's making for us it 's such a, an encouragement to our walk. But all that stuff 's going to disappear, and i 'd love to go more into it we don 't have the time, but I was studying through some of the science things and i 'm so far away from understanding completely what you know nuclear physics sorry guys i don 't get it very much. <laughs> But looking at the little bit I got to study through is so interesting that this, a lot of people will say, well, this is a big nuclear war that's going to happen. That's going to destroy everything. It's interesting. Within a nuclear bomb, you cannot get all the atoms to start going and splitting themselves or imploding on themselves in succession, okay? It's impossible, basically. I went through two different articles, and they said man can't do it. You know, they were worried about that when they set off the first atom bomb. They thought it would set off a chain reaction and basically destroy the whole earth, well, they're not that irresponsible. They had scientists checking it out, making sure that that wasn't going to happen before they set the bomb off. Okay? What ends up happening is it, can, it just happens within that controlled area of that nuclear bomb. So only those atoms are imploding on themselves, and that energy is released into what we have either as an atom bomb or a nuclear bomb now. And so, man, it was interesting because they said that to get a chain reaction like that to happen where everything is just dissolved, all of the atoms implode, would have to be so precise that no man could ever create anything like that to make that chain reaction happen. So I would disagree with this is going to be a nuclear war and it's going to be all this fallout and that's what destroys everything. God's finger, I believe, is on the button. It's God's timing. It's when God says it's done. I'm wiping all this out and I'm creating new. That's his responsibility. That's what he's going to do. And through other scriptures, if you guys would want to, I could take you through and show you that it, it points to him and he's the one in the control of it. He's the one that's going to do it. Interesting thing. Go and study that. Interesting things that you get to find out. And just seeing these scriptures and just pulling them apart, seeing, wow, this definitely is inspired by the Word of God. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So neat. Last verses here, 14 through 18. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also to the rest of Scripture's. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. And so he goes on and he says in verse 14, be diligent. You guys remember we talked about this before. This is the third time he's used this in his epistle. Be diligent. Looking for diligence, right? There's an act that we do. We're diligent in what we're... Uh, how we're walking with him in that spiritual growth, to be found in peace with him without spot and blameless. Don't fall after those lusts. Don't do what the false teachers were talking about. And consider that long-suffering of the Lord and in salvation, as also beloved Paul, uh, brother Paul. It refers back to Paul. Now, just as a side thing, I want to encourage you guys that you consider, those of you guys that do not know Jesus Christ yet, that you would consider what's going on. Consider what he's even saying here. God is in a place with you right now that he has this long suffering because he does not want you to perish like what we just read. He has long suffering for you. He wants you to repent and turn to him and that's what he's saying. Consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Let that salvation come into your life that he's called you to. And he talks about Paul, and he says, according to the wisdom given to him, and he says, you know, he's written to you. He's, he's saying these letters he's written to you. Now, they're kind of hard to understand sometimes because it's kind of foreign, this grace idea. You know, he had a lot of Judaizers coming in that were saying it's all law. You can have Jesus too, but you need to follow these rules as well to get salvation. And that's what he's talking. It's hard to understand that what grace is about because it's a whole new concept. It's a new covenant that we're under. And so that's why he's saying it's hard to understand, and you need to be taught and stable so that you're not twisting it to their own destruction. And some people are coming in barely getting the idea and saying that he's in heir. He's in heir. He's saying grace, like what we talked about in in Romans 6. It's all about grace. Do what you want. And they're misunderstanding what he was talking about, that it wasn't about that. And so then he goes on and he says, and I think it's interesting because he even associates Paul's letters at that time as Scripture, he says they also twist the rest of Scripture, the rest being that he is included in that. Isn't that interesting? That even at that time, it was considered Scripture. Awesome. So I'd have to argue that, you know what? I would doubt that the church is the one that canonized Scripture, as some would argue. Right here I see an apostle showing that another apostle is Scripture. And God has said that right there. And then he goes on, and he says that they twist it. And this twist word is this interesting, because it actually is talking about being on the racks. Like back when they used to torture people and they twist them out of deformity. Like they would just, it was, a, it was a horrible thing that they used to do in the Inquisition times. And what it's talking about is they actually just like rip the, the, the pieces apart, the scripture, and they twist it in all these deformed places and it no longer is what it was meant to be. Twist it. I mean, you guys probably have people do this to your own words, right? I didn't say that. <laughs> you just twisted that so that you could be the victim. Or you could get me in trouble or whatever. People at work twisting your words, right? Well, that's what they were doing with the scriptures and even taking Paul's words in scripture and, and twisting them. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware. So all of you guys in this room know this. So he's telling you, beware. He's telling all of us, be careful, guys. Be careful lest you fall from your own steadfastness being led away in the air of the wicked. And he encourages last little bit and leave you guys with this. If uh, Seth, if you come back up and do a last song but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory. Now, grow in the grace and the knowledge. You have to have those two together. It is super easy to grow in knowledge, isn't it? Well, for some of us. (laughs) It's easier, I think, to grow in knowledge, to get to know these things about God, to to understand or look in the Scriptures and know them. Grace is a very hard thing to grow in, isn't it? Grace is very hard. It's one of those things you've got to kind of walk through and remember the grace that Jesus Christ has poured out. But they have to go hand in hand. A person that just has grace is very shallow. Without that knowledge to be that foundation that's there, the knowledge of the Word of God, that person with the grace is like, yeah, just everything goes. What's good for you is good for you. Whatever you want to believe, I'm going to give you that grace. And that's not Knowledge. That's not knowledge. But you also, you can't have it on the other side where it's just knowledge because that leads to legalism. That leads to, I have all the right answers and you shouldn't have done that. And I'm going to hold that against you. See how you have to have both of them? So he says, grow in grace and knowledge. And then that last little bit, guys, to him, right? To him be the glory, both now, today, and forever. Amen. Lord, we just thank you so much for today and well, we want to give you the glory and just praise your name and thank you so much for what you brought us through. And Lord, help us to be steadfast in those things that you've taught us to do, that we would be aware and that we'd be reminded constantly as we walk through your word with you and, and just understanding and, and uh, being excited about you, that we wouldn't turn away and we wouldn't lose or forget our first love, like what you say one of the churches in, in Revelation did, Lord. We want to be right there with you. We want to remember. uh, We want to be excited about your work, Lord. And uh, just continue just to pour out that that long-suffering on those family members that we know don't know you. And, uh, Lord, just if there's somebody here this morning that does not know you, that they would just take that bold step and understand and know that they're centered before you, and you've made a way for them, and you've forgiven them, Lord. I pray that they'd be bold, and they'd come and talk to one of us, Lord, and they would just be able to accept you into their life and what work you've done for them, Lord. And we just thank you so much for today, Lord. I pray for these guys that go out this week, that you protect them and uh, just give them awesome opportunities to be able to share your fa- their faith and just the awesome works you have in their life, Lord. Thank you so much for your blessings and pray this in your name, amen.